I just want to ask you, though, have you been to Rome in the last few days? No, I have not been to Rome in the last few days. Because I, you being a super spreader, because Lil's got COVID. Oh, no! This is a podcast in which two friends talk about the pleasures, absurdities, and imperfections of being human. I'm Simon Ellis. And I'm Lee Miller. Welcome to Midlifing. How is she with it? Is she is she no, laid just, very low or is she bit of a doing rough okay? Note, um, you know, temperature wise and then yeah. um Yeah. She's yeah, seems okay. I mean, you know, staying at home, staying on the balcony. Oh no. Yeah. So oh, it wasn't no. you. And what about you? Have you been... No, not me. Have you been whacking things up your nose to test no, yourself? No, I haven't. Uh, I, I, I mean, if I had any sign of a symptom... Mm. Whoa, hang on. What do you mean? Because I was in Rome three weeks ago. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I just tried to, tried to build up some yeah, drama. Not a lot of drama there for me. Um, I feel pretty safe in a tiny little town. Well, it's a city, really, in the middle of an island. Um, not that I'm away from... Coventry, of course, for those people who are listening from my job. <laughs> oh, um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm. Um, I have strange days. I've been doing sort of lots of lots of admin, and then in the afternoon I go into the theatre where the people I'm working with uh, are working, and I do my um, I do my work for them. So yeah, I go. I go in and um, I do that thing, which is. A tremendous pleasure for me, which is to look at other people's work and then respond, you know, and res- respond in oh. ways which are um, not so much about what I want or think, but about what I'm seeing. And it's, um, I mean, yeah. the bizarre thing about the process is it's all happening in Italian, um, uh, except my bits, of course, because there's no way my Italian is good enough to be conveying the kinds of, I guess you might say, the nuances of what I'm trying to articulate when I'm responding. So I'm missing lots of things and getting bits of things. And, yeah, it's it's good. Yeah, that's so interesting. I was talking to a PhD student about the idea of nuance. Um, and she she is writing her PhD in uh, in her second oh, language. I can't well, I think imagine doing that. Well, we were talking about the idea of the academic voice, and I was offering resistance to the idea of that notion of objectivity and distance, and saying that there's no such thing in any research practice. It simply doesn't exist. There is always can, going to you be can a take body the boy out of postmodernism. <laughs> well, you know, it's yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I, I just don't know how anybody could ever say. Well, I go into the archive and I leave myself at the door. It's like, oh, that must yes. be a curiously disembodied process. Mm. How do you pick something up? Anyway, the, so that's a, a kind of a, a long-winded way in to say, yeah, the idea of nuance. And she was talking about um, not feeling herself when she's writing in in her academic discourse in 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 English. It's like, oh, I'm not sure that that's really my voice. 
this is very exciting. So I'm I'm vamping wildly now. Um, <laughs> now he's just texting me saying, call me. I am calling you, Simon. I'm calling you desperately, wildly, madly, and nothing is working. This is cute. Oh, oh, he's back. He's back in the room. What happened? I don't know. I, I, I do not know. That was very fun. You just, just all of a sudden you, you went, oh, I'm done. I'm not having this conversation. Yeah, I was, uh, I don't know what happened. I, I just don't know. Mm. But um, that was a whole lot of silence that you could keep in just to pad out the episode if, uh, if you're, if you're, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I, I monologued. Oh, did you? Oh, I totally I mean, monologued. I did a little bit, but nothing like, uh, I'm sure your improvisation was far better than mine. Well, of course it was because that's uh, my bailiwick. Uh, it's not really. Um, oh, I love, I love yeah, that just word. that I. It's a lovely word, isn't it? So just the idea of um, of not being yourself when you're not in your own language. And, and I thought, well, yes, absolutely. So you've been experiencing that sort of in the, the lack of nuance, not being able to find the, the shades that you might want to not even to Not even with. trying, not even trying. Because, uh-huh, um, right. yeah, yeah. I mean, I was pretty much the first thing I said to the group was um, that um, my vocabulary is just too limited to to deal with all that stuff. I mean, it would be painful for the choreographers I'm working with. Absolutely painful. It would, yeah. <laughs> it would just slow things down, and, but just bizarrely. So, yeah. So they're working with the group in Italian. And right. I'm not participating in a lot of those conversations at all. I'm listening to some of them and trying to uh-huh. absorb some of them. But then when they work with mm-hmm. me, it's all it's all in English. Although strangely, there's a there's a, it's an amazing thing watching um, effectively bilingual people um, just flip between languages, but for no particular mm. reason. Yeah. Like they'll be in a conversation, and then suddenly someone will just part of it will be in English, and then it'll be back. You know, it's a very. Um, it's uh, and I, I think it's partly about the particular vocabularies which they're used to working in particular languages. Even though, in this case, one is a native Italian speaker and one is a native Basque speaker. Oh right. So yeah, it's it's pretty. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's quite a rich stew it's, that you're in. It is a rich, rich ragu for sure. <laughs> I I remember going out for dinner with um going out for dinner with with friends who who at the time were in a, a couple. Um they're not anymore. Sad story. Well, it's not a sad story, you know. These things happen. Mm. People move on. But one is uh, they're both native Portuguese speakers. One is a uh, lusophone Portuguese speaking, one is Brazilian Portuguese speaking but lives in What, in what was the word you said lusophone? Lusophone. So European, you know, European uh, Portuguese. Right, I've never heard that uh, word before. I think I think there's the there's the concept of the loser sphere is the Portuguese speaking world. Ah, uh. hmm. there you go. Because it's actually a, it's a language that's quite because of colonialism. Um, Yay, colonialism in lots of places. <laughs> Yay, but um, it's spoken obviously with with significant differences depending on where it is in the world, and, and European Portuguese is quite different to uh, Brazilian yes. Portuguese. You can really hear it on the things like the Ds. Right. So like bondia in, in European Portuguese becomes bondia. It's more like a, 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 a sort of a, a soft j sound. Anyway, what was lovely was we were all having a conversation and me and Bob were mostly speaking in English with just like some very rubbish interjections. And the two of them were speaking to us in English 
Um, but then every now and then they would explain a detail to one another in Portuguese. If, if you know, if there was something that one of them was getting and the other one wasn't, then they just they kind of um, just clarify with one another in Portuguese. But my favourite moment was when one of them turned to me and then chatted away really animatedly in Portuguese and then turned to her partner and then explained in English. <laughs> she just got it back to front. Saying. Yeah, she just got it completely back to front. <laughs> and we all just went, so here's the thing. Nobody really knows what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's that stewiness, isn't it, of, um, of, of, of people who are genuinely bilingual, their, their brains just doing a click. Yeah, I, do, I yeah, I, I think it is. Um, I do think what you're describing there is a, an extraordinary aspect of um, the human brain dealing with this. There's such, you know, because I guess that's one of the joys of other languages is that they remind you, or you, no, they don't remind you. You, they reveal just how abstract uh, putting sounds to objects as <laughs> as names and as as things to do is just how abstract those things are and the the degrees of abstract become very plain to you when you're um attempting to speak in another language but just that extraordinary oh, yeah. capacity to be f- flipping as you've described it you know as as you've just been saying but I've been um yeah just uh, experiencing that all the time although I still get a little bit um when I'm talking to native Italians in Italian and they switch to English I'm still always a little bit disappointed you know of course ah uh, yeah yeah it, it, it's it's yeah. possible that they just want to practice English but it's also quite likely yeah. that they go this <laughs> English conversation is going to be a whole lot easier in, in English <laughs> but it's if you've gone through the process of even on a cursory level as an adult trying to learn another language and then encountering that language in the country where it originates, it doesn't half make you a lot more caring in the world when you encounter people who are not speaking your language when you're in the country that you're in. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's it's just one of the, it's, you know, I guess there are some places where there, oh, no, I think in these days it's because of so much migration, humankind, the migration of humankind. It's There would be places where it's, I mean, it's, probably not very common but not many places where it's not very common and that um just even just meddling briefly in another language uh and you know spending six weeks learning something is enough to totally i think transform how it is that you recognize and respond to people struggling in your language when you meet them it's yeah. um it's a, it's a, the the sort of humility and empathy that it that it um that it nourishes i guess i say even after a few hours of attempting it or weeks or whatever and yeah. it's uh, i, I yeah. think it should be sort of just i do it's really i don't often think of this in terms of education but the sort of mandatory aspect of of learning another language i mean maybe it's a, a very sort of middle class idea but well i don't know because i'm not thinking about it in terms of being something that should be um required of of children although i think it should be i think everybody should be uh should be taught another language Absolutely. I think where I see the need for it more is when when people are making decisions about quote unquote immigrants, it just makes me feel like, you know, those people, if, if they had to just spend a weekend not being understood, maybe they would feel a little bit less like Suella Braverman. Yeah, it's, it's and it's also really hard to understand. I mean, it's always more difficult to understand people who are the children of immigrants who take positions like Suella. Suella? 
and yeah. also yes, um, well. Pretty Patel. These are both of these people. These oh, are for, <laughs> for uh, our uh, non-UK-based uh, listeners. These are two people who have been in charge of what's called the Home Office. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah, but both women of color. It's important to 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 and acknowledge both children that. of and, immigrants, and right? Or exactly. Grand, yeah. yeah, and uh, certainly, certainly, Pretty Patel. Pretty Patel. I think her parents. I, I don't know Suella Braverman's um, biography well and enough. And if it's uh, if we've got that wrong, it'll be there'll be a correction. Um, I'm going to say down below, but uh, that doesn't quite work really? on a non YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like what. Why are you going to correct me down below, Simon? I feel quite attacked right now. <laughs> How very dare you? I know, and also from a distance. Um, um, so, yeah, they, <laughs> but yeah, that's something for me that I really, it's like as, as if um, a certain amount of entitlement has trumped that kind of humility and, um, mm -hmm. and empathy. Yeah, it, it's something really, really, really profoundly important about um, the kind of understanding of struggle that, and I'm not talking about my, my because of course I'm just learning, effectively I've been learning a language for fun. It's not. Uh, it's it's very different from people turning up in, in France or Germany or Italy with with no other language, but they've been forced there because they're running from yes. something. And that, yes. that that kind of wow, I, the the courage and the bravery of um, yeah, yeah. But you're not. I don't think either of us are trying to make some kind of like um, uh, comfortable comparison between you know people who are. F forced into migration and our difficulty of negotiating a language that we've chosen i think what we're saying is when you have struggled even if it's just to kind of go oh, even shit, as a hobby i really didn't yeah I, but you know what i mean just in those yeah, yeah. moments of frustration yeah. where you, where you catch yourself and it's 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 back to that sort of the idea of nuance and understanding yourself and who you are through words it just makes me go wow I, exactly as you say that the the courage to not mm just encounter the world in through a completely different filter but recognizing that the world is not knowing you the world is not meeting you they're meeting a a very diminished version oh, of you oh that's and you know that's uh, yeah yeah i mean you're just that you're you're right on the button there for me uh, just um that that idea of the way in which and i don't we i think we inadvertently diminish and i think that's i think particularly native english speakers because you know and it's 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 no fault of ours you might say but we don't have to do any of that work the world comes to us it's the world yeah. it's you know the the lingua franca of the world and um <laughs> and it's a and so that, that it actually takes a certain you know it takes effort to meet those people and to in, in a sense to meet them to not diminish them, to not, to meet them on yeah. their own terms in your language, you know, which is suddenly there's a contradiction there. But yeah, I, I just think it's it's I yeah, it's, it's just the 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 lack of humility when you have done absolutely nothing, and then you're angry that that you've done nothing to be understood, or you, do, or you, sp you speak just, louder. Yeah, <laughs> I just it just yeah, I just I feel I feel that we would all benefit from from the struggle so it's for me it's less about wouldn't it be good if we're all bilingual yeah of course it would be brilliant uh but more wouldn't it be good if we were were forced to be uncomfortable in social settings um and being judged for something which appears to be a marker of our intelligence you know the ability to be able to speak what we think um oh well i'm 
Did you, uh, <laughs> slightly bit of a jump cut. Have you heard of someone called Ron DeSantis? Oh, the name rings a bell, but I don't know. It's it's probably just a name rather than something that I can locate immediately. No, what's a Ron DeSantis? <laughs> he is the person that um, won the uh, election. I don't know whether it was Senate or House of Representatives, or I think it was House of Representatives, or maybe it was the governor one. They called it, love that word in America. They use gub, gubernatorial or something like that. Oh, gubernatorial. It's a strange word. Um, it does. It sounds delicious, though. It sounds like you would spread it on uh, with, with peanut butter. It does. I've got some peanut butter and some gubernatorial spread. I'm sure, I'm Ooh, sure they do, actually. Um, I did, he, So he won in Florida. Okay, he, congrats. He won by a big margin. Uh-huh. He's a Republican. And um, Well, there's still some nice Republicans. He, his victory speech is intriguing because it he talks about the war on woke. And, um, <sighs> and what's curious is that he it's almost like he's um, hinting at we will fight them on the beaches, we will fight them. And the, it's like he's drawing on Churchill's um, speech to talk about woke. And Florida is the place he described as, as, where, as where woke or something like where woke has come to die. Yeah, wow. yeah, it's really interesting. Wow, it's really interesting because I and I, I, I got me thinking about because I don't I'm I don't think I'm fan. I'm a big fan of let's say wokeness um, uh, in terms of what it's become. But it's really interesting to hear a you know a conservative politician um, base his winning speech around something the, 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 clearly the threat, the feeling of threat. And I wonder what that threat is and what is it that he's bloody talking about? I mean, without you having watched it, but what is it in the context of the United States? What is going on there? I don't think we can point a finger from here to there because clearly the language of the war on woke is something that has been repeated oft and loudly from our, dare one say, ruling elite. Um, in fact, didn't wasn't it that somebody we've already referenced today, Sue Ella Braveman, who got woke, Guardian Easter, <gasps> tofu. tofu eating, tofu. It wasn't even eating, was it? Tofu it was like tofu munching, platting, tofu munch something, <laughs> tofu wearing, and it was. <laughs> It'll be in that, the show notes. That, it's worth a read, uh, dear yeah. listeners. It's uh, yeah. It was so. I think. I think. I don't think we can ask what's it's going a, on in the US. It's a, it's a global phenomenon. Um, no, my brain's gone empty. Sorry. That's all right. It's um because it's a it's such an interesting thing the way in which something has got um, has transmogrified in the sense that like I really that I, the idea of being awake meaning that is that is that one is through various sorts of reasons has come to understand that we're not all born equal that some people for all sorts of reasons many of them structural have less opportunity that is that we're not living in a meritocracy that a meritocracy is a lie and i'm i think that idea and the idea that recognizing of being awake to that is an incredibly important thing, but wow, has it got skewed? It's just, it's got, it's just, it's like it's been someone's picked up the ball and run with it in terms of the way in which it's become a kind of way to 
dog whistle, you know, a kind of dog whistle for, and it's, it, it's been quite amazing for me over the last however many years, you know, let's say four or five years to, to recognize this thing, how it started of being woke to what it's become in terms of how it's been weaponized, um, certainly by the, uh, you'd have to say by the right and weaponized with, with extraordinary success. And the success of it is something which I'm curious about. But there's something also which is, which is, you know, the thing that's, I guess, if you were to be awake is to recognize that. And I'm not sure that, I, I'm not sure what the end game of that is. And I've never heard anyone speak kind of eloquently about what the end game of that flip is. Like, what, what, what do you just, does everything just get turned upside down? Or does it sort of even out in some way? Eventually, it, it kind of becomes normal that actors are just are given jobs, uh, just because they happen to be the actor, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know what the end game is. Yeah, I think, I think, in, in some respects, acting's the, the, not a particularly useful lens to see things through because th- there there are those moments where you know Je- George A. Romero in um, in 1968 famously cast a black lead um, for Night of the Living Dead, um, and in so doing he made Night of the Living Dead this horrifying parable for white supremacy in uh, in the United States of America. Yeah. But when he was asked about it, he went, well, there was always a political dimension to the the thinkinglessness, of, which is not the same as thoughtlessness, the thinkinglessness of the zombie. That's that's you know that was always going to be baked into the narrative that he was he was exploring, but he hadn't intended it for it to be quite so baldly political. Because spoiler alert for a film made in 1968, um, the the survivor, the sole survivor of a zombie attack on a house is the black lead, who is effectively suffering from PTSD as a result of this night long um, night long attack of the undead, and he stumbles out of the uh, of the cellar into the 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 front room of the house and the militia are outside and they see him through the window and just see him and go oh there we go there's another one and shoot him in the head so it becomes this sense of um you know hang on the militia the militia you mean that he becomes a zombie no, he, he's a, he's, a sort of... he's positioned as he is read as a zombie as a so- exactly. yeah because he yeah, yeah. he couldn't possibly have have managed to survive when all of these lovely white people died <laughs> so so you know it, be, it becomes it becomes a parable for something bigger than but what george romero said was i just picked the best person for the role and there was a resulting <laughs> implication <laughs> that the film took on a bigger political dimension than i intended and then you know he doubles down on that political narrative in the subsequent films for anybody who's familiar with his work you know that dawn of the dead becomes a critique of consumerism and capitalism um and um kind of day of the dead becomes a kind of like a, 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 a an imagining of a post reagan world anyway Brilliant films, lovely, lovely, lovely. But I think, in some respects, that idea of of acting is a, is a tricky lens because there is that sense that you can just go, well, who's the best person for the job, and that is who's going to sell the most tickets comes into it to some degree, but you know, not always because I think we're in a post film star world now. Really, you think? Yeah, that? they don't really exist in the same way. You you can't be guaranteed a massive opening as a result of a particular name. Really. Yeah, it's fran- we we live in franchise world now. If you think about people like Chris Hemsworth or um Robert Downey Jr who are on eye-wateringly high salaries, it's not because they brought cachet with them to the films. 
it it's was because, because they, just star in they these starred in these franchises. So, but what know, about Tom Hanks or Brad Pitt? Or surely they have a certain amount of Brad. Um, Brad Brad Pitt's most recent film, Rocket Train, I think it's called Bullet Tra- Bullet Train. Um, tanked. Yeah, didn't do particularly well. It had a really, you know, a really strong cast, but didn't do particularly well at the box office. He's not going to open a film. Julia Roberts and George Clooney just had a, a massive bomb with a, a romantic comedy. Come I on, so wanted, American. I so wanted to see that. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so I, I think I think that that idea of, mm. of you know of yeah. But I I wonder about um, your question about what the end game is. You understand what I mean by the question, don't no, you? No, I, I totally understand. I totally yeah. understand. And I'm, I'm, I'm deliberately not sort of falling down a Derridian path where I talk about the notion of the undecidable and blah, 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 which would be, which would be a post-structuralist response, wouldn't it? Well, am... also, that's the other podcast you're on. It's definitely not this one, motherfucker. <laughs> but I suppose the end game the end game's really difficult because it, it, requires people, it requires people to let go of stuff in order for things to change i've just finished a book uh which sci-fi actually called the ministry for the future or ministry Mm. of the future it's got these it's incredibly diverse range of chapters and characters and it jumps from one thing and at one point it, uh, it it speaks of i think the sun in the first person and it's it's quite extraordinary but one of the chapters is um is uh, written in the first person by a woman who was in the navy the US navy and she talked about and she was low down right at the bottom of the of the totem pole in the US navy i'm sure they don't use the word totem pole these days um and um she talks about had she'd met all these admirals, all these people, and she she couldn't believe how normal they were. And then she learned that the and I think I forget the term. There's a particular it's a term which means the difference in pay between the person lowest in an organisation and the person highest. There's a very particular term. It'll be in the show notes. It doesn't really matter what it is. You can understand what it is. And then in the U.S. Navy, it's eight. Meaning, for every dollar that the person at the lowest get, the person at the highest gets only eight dollars more. And this contrasts with something like I can't remember what she says a thousand yeah. in most public and most private organisations. Yeah. That this discrepancy between the top and the bottom is so vast and so unimaginable for people who are doing the cleaning in these places, in, in you know, at, uh, in Tesla, for example, that um, you can't even begin to imagine what it's like to progress or to have a life or for those people at the top to even possibly imagine what it's like to be in the shoes of those other people and so there's something i think i'm saying this of course because i think it i think it somehow relates to this this conversation about how we understand other people to be less than and more than us Mm. and 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 whether that's to do with race or whether it's to do with just plain old-fashioned class you know i yeah yeah it's super interesting anyway for me but isn't it the lie that we tell ourselves to uh, to feel better about the fact that we're not doing more to support other people? Oh, t- totally. Just that sense of like, well, yeah, I, I know that I've got three of these and they only have half of that, but I, I worked hard. I worked hard. I earned yeah, this. I-, I earned this. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, okay. But it's a quite an interesting, that is an interesting kind of question of identity, which is, 
because I, I, I could I think I would like to make a strong argument that I've worked hard, right? That I've that I've committed myself to the work I've done, and then all those various things, right? I, I think I could make a pretty strong case. But the danger, I suspect, and I think we're, the problem here is that we're agreeing with each other too much. But the, the danger, of course, is that I start to imagine that it's just all. Because that I've had no yeah. legs up, that I've had none of that thing, none of that stuff which was just I was just effectively born into by a matter yeah. of accident. That yeah. I happened to have two fully functioning legs for fuck's yeah. sake. 